0: All right. How do you hire a really good acquisitions manager in your business that sticks with you for the long term and you can both make a fortune together? This episode is coming to everyone here. I'm going to air this on both of the podcasts from a mastermind that Michael Pinter and I are both a part of. Michael goes there more often than I do, called Investor Fuel. So if you're looking for a great mastermind to join, you should definitely consider Investor Fuel. I think it's investorfuel.com. Anyway, so Michael, one of the big problems that people have, the two things is, Oh, my revenue is too sporadic. And how do I get a good acquisitions manager? So the first thing- How do I keep a good
1: acquisitions manager? How do I keep, keep, manager. Do I keep an
0: acquisitions manager? So the first thing is just going to happen if you're in business, in real estate investing, you're not going to ever escape that. So fucking think, think differently.
1: You have to- escape, learn, learn to accept it.
0: <laughs> learn to accept it and have reserves and use the profit first system. And you'll definitely have better results than if you otherwise didn't. So I can confidently say I can- I'm an expert at this because I've had an acquisitions manager for the last almost three years. So I know exactly what I'm doing when it comes to this. There's many other things. I don't know what I'm doing. So let me give everyone how I found my acquisitions manager and I'll just start with that and then we'll go back and forth. So my good friend, Brett, who is basically almost like a partner in the business, even though he's not, like he basically is treated like a partner at this point. He was looking for a job in the real estate industry like years ago. He was working at a car dealership. He didn't like that. And he wanted to make some money in real estate. And he saw that I was doing this you know, successfully for a while. So I actually connected him with a friend of mine who you might know as well. And he was working for him for a while and he was able to kind of do stuff over the phone. But he really, that company wasn't really doing the volume that Brett really wanted to do. And it just, the systems weren't there. So he just, it wasn't the best opportunity for him at the time because the owner was focusing on another project. So he was looking for another business to, to work with. And while that was going on, his neighbor, had an inherited vacant property. And he, Brett was like, you should look into this. So, I, and this like literally across before he moved to Delaware, he was like, you should call this owner. And I'm like, all right. So I called the owner and I was like, I want to buy this property. And he's like, I would sell it. And we we couldn't make a deal off the bat. But then I followed up with him and something changed. And he was like, I'll take your offer. You made me like three months ago or whatever. I made 90,000 on that house, flipping it. And Brett thought he was going to get like a little $1,000 referral fee for me. And I cut him a check for $6,000. And he's like, hmm, I might, I should maybe work with Greg. And then while that's all happening, I was doing all these other houses and I would send Brett to the house to, I'd pay him $1,000 when it closed to like put a lockbox on or show buyers or whatever. So he saw that he was making, you know, better money with me basically. Where
1: Where was he living before he moved to Delaware?
0: He was living in Monroe about- five minutes from where I grew up. He was living right in a great, great neighborhood, great house, great neighborhood for flipping. So he was living there. So he he kind of had the seed planted where he was like, huh, maybe I should do more work with Greg. Cause I seem to be making some money, you know, not trying to blow myself here, but I'm just, just being honest. <laughs> so he hit me up a couple summers ago and he's like, Hey, would you ever consider, you know, doing business? Like maybe I can do deals with you. And I, I wasn't really looking for an acquisition manager. I mean, I don't like talking to sellers, but I'm pretty good at it. And I was like, yeah, you know, I would consider it, you know, I mean, it's definitely a pain point of mine, but I wasn't out there seeking one. And we'll talk about how to actually do this if you're seeking one. And I I was like, let me think about this for like a week. I just want to like, make sure that if this is something that makes sense for me, it also makes sense for you. And I want to make sure that I have a business that can actually support you. I don't want to just say yes now and then not know how to actually do it. So I thought about it and I'm like, this, this is a really good idea. I kind of mapped out my hair sticking up, mapped out a plan and uh, came back to him and said, let's do it. So the way that I have had success with him being my acquisitions manager for years now is number one, he makes a lot of money. So that's, I'm just going to be blunt with people. Like he makes a ton of fucking money. He makes well, 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 well over $100,000. So the biggest problem I see with other people trying to do this is they don't have a business that could allow someone who's really good to make a lot of money. They think they're going to get good talent for $60,000 a year. And someone who's really skilled knows what they're doing is not gonna fucking accept that. So that's the first thing I see. You need to look at your business and say, do I have an opportunity where a good acquisitions manager, if they actually know what they're doing, can make at least, I'm talking at least a hundred grand, at least, like if they're not making a hundred grand and they're really good, they're not gonna work for you, I can fucking guarantee it. hundred percent. So that's the first thing you need to investigate because I see, and I see this in investors, I see this all over the place, they try to get somebody to work for 8% of the net and they do two deals a month or three deals a month and they're making $15,000 a deal and the math just doesn't work. So number one, the person has to have an opportunity if they're good and they work hard to make real money because a good talent is never going to stick around for that kind of money because they're usually, they're, an acquisitions manager is almost like a mini entrepreneur. They're, they're an intrapreneur, we'd call them. They, they <laughs> want to have control of their schedule they don't want to have a salary. They want to just get paid on what they kill. They want to, if they work harder and they do better, they want to make more money, but Absolutely. they also might not want to have all the responsibility that you and I would have with overhead and payroll and lead,
1: old, g- lead generation, lead
0: generation. Gen contractors, which is a whole nother thing. So you have to think of them as an entrepreneur, right? So that's the first thing that you got to understand. The second thing that I will say, and then I'll have you kind of chime in here, is that you need in order for them to make money, you have to have a very good compensation plan for them. like if they're even 10% is not going to cut it in my opinion because it's just not enough money to to really get somebody unless you're doing big spreads, but it's very hard to do a big spread. what,
1: what compensation plan do you do use? So we, we
0: do a scale actually. We do 15% on deals that that were just coming in from the regular marketing. And then we actually, me and Brett built out our own. He's a little bit different. He's like a quasi-partner. He's Even though he doesn't have equity in the company, but he's basically a quasi-partner at this point because he adds that much value and he brings so many deals in. So we made a deal about a year ago where he kicks in to a, we have one campaign we actually do together. Well, not not 50-50, but he kicks in a good chunk of the marketing money on this one campaign. And then instead of getting 15% of those deals, he gets 25% of those deals. So on a certain campaign that he spends money on, he gets a bigger piece of the pie. So that's how he's allowed, that's how he's able to make like 150 grand this year is from the regular 15% on stuff. And then when he kicks in a percentage of this marketing campaign from the data and the mailing, he gets 25%. And the way I looked at it is initially, I was like, eh, I don't know about that. But then when I really thought about it, I'm like, okay, number one, he has skin in the game. And number two, he still makes enough money on the regular deals to where he's not going to have like an ins- like a reverse incentive to like only work those leads because he's still making a lot of money on the other leads. And the way that I kind of see it is like, normally he would make 15%, but if I'm going to pay him another 10% above that, it's only 10% for me, but I also didn't have to spend all that money on marketing because he made up for it. So like the math yeah. works from, you know, uh, operation. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I, well, I don't
1: know how much he's kicking in exactly, but it makes sense for you for sure. He's kicking
0: um, in 20%. So he's, I'll tell you, he's kicking in 20% and he's getting 20. So he's kicking in 20% of the spend, but he, and he's getting an extra 5% above that. So he's making, uh, and a lot of these deals actually, ironically, are big fat deals from this, this marketing campaign, or it's a mailing campaign from Leadvine. So he's making 25% of like a, you know, $25,000 wholesale deal. He'll get a good fucking rip on that. And then when we take all of our PPC deals and other mailings that I do on my own, he's still making, you know, great commissions good. on these deals. Okay.
1: But he came to you. So the question is, how do you find someone if you're looking for someone?
0: Okay. So the first thing I would do is I would look for somebody who's making like a hundred grand a year, right? Like I would not go and try to find somebody and In like sense. the Brett is a little bit of an anomaly because he wasn't making that money before he worked with me, but he had the hustle, the ambition, and he was able to kind of like see the bigger picture, which I think he's a little bit of an, a, a rare exception. But if you're trying to find somebody, and let's say you you can't find a Brett who basically can build it from the bottom, I would look for someone who's making a hundred grand a year who doesn't like the job they're doing. Let's say they're selling cars; they have to go to the dealership for There's a lot of a car. A lot of car yeah.
1: salesmen end up end up being great acquisition managers. Yeah,
0: you, you got to. They're in the dealership, so that's a pain point. You have these really constricted kind of confines because they're like getting a salary, but then they're making a commission. But let's say they're a high performer. I would look for someone like in the car industry or maybe in insurance where there's pain points that they have that you can solve maybe by being virtual or maybe by just being commission only.
1: Well, you less, less regulation. You know, yeah. those guys have to live by by rules from big car yeah, companies have, or, or big insurance turns, companies.
0: They got, you know, GMs and like, you know, it's just a little bit more of a kind of a corporate environment. So I would look for somebody who's already has a standard of making a lot of money because what that's gonna do is two things it's going to put the pressure on you to actually like make them successful by giving them a good system to follow, not by doing the work for them. And you're, you're not going to have to really worry about somebody who's like, like whimsical, right? Cause if you try to go and, and find somebody who's, never made money in sales before. And you want to try to turn them it's really into
1: hard. It's very frustrating for them and they give up too easy. Yeah,
0: it's it's they because they don't understand they've never made that kind of money before. So it's, it, you, their identity is like not, their thermostat is not at the level that you really need it to be at. And then you can't really be a life coach either. You have to have someone who's motivated. So you, you, you need to look for someone who's making money already. I would say at least a hundred grand who has pain points that you can solve in your business that will help them, i.e. virtual or not having being so corporatized. And then you got to show them that your business actually, because a high performer is going to almost interview you as well. They're not just going to say, oh yeah, let me do that. They're going to say, well, what are you guys doing? What kind of revenue are you doing? What type of deals can I expect? What are the pitfalls of this business? Where can I get fucked? Like they're going to like, if they're smart, they're going to like look into you and make sure you're not some clown. They should ask
1: a question.
0: Yeah. So you need to show them that you have a business that if they come into, not only are they going to be able to make the same, if not more money, but you have a real operation that can actually take care of them. So that's what I would do if I was looking for somebody. I would certainly not go try to find some person at a college who's never made money before, who's motivated. Like I would not do that. Like Brett is an exception to the rule. Um, and he was already hungry and he just needed a better vehicle to get into in order to succeed. Well, let me ask you something.
1: When you started him, were you paying were you giving him any salary or draw to I start?
0: So I did make it a little different at the beginning because he started from basically ground zero. So he was making everybody, some money.
1: everybody does, right?
0: So the way that I structured it with him was the first six months of our arrangement, I was paying for half of his rent just so – because he moved to – he, like, basically moved to Delaware, like, kind of at the same time. So I was like, listen.
1: That was right at the beginning, right when he started working for you? What? He started? He moved to Delaware right when he started working for you? Basically right
0: in the beginning. I think he moved to – no, you know what?
1: It was a little bit. I think it was the time. It was a gap, yeah,
0: but he he had some he had some overhead, and I wanted to just kind of get. I ba- I gave him like six hundred bucks a month to like pay whatever obligations he had for six months. Well, and
1: generously,
0: the, and, yeah. <laughs> six hundred bucks is chicken feed if you really think about it. But I paid I know, like,
1: not-
0: Yeah, I paid six hundred bucks, but then he was getting you know within like for two or three months we were already doing a lot of deals. So like I didn't really. It was kind of like minute. Like at the at the end, like I, I was like, listen, we made an agreement. I'm going to fulfill this agreement, but like. You know, so you, you don't, don't really know. need the money, but yeah. I'm gonna just do what I say. I'm gonna do. So he appreciated that. So yeah, I was paying him whatever six hundred bucks a month for six months, and yeah, then so
1: here's the thing: if you're if you're getting somebody who's making a hundred thousand dollars a year, and he comes over to you, you're not getting away by paying him six hundred dollars a month. No. No, 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 no. A lot more: three, help. four, five thousand dollars a month for a few months for sure.
0: You're probably paying at least five, honestly, because if if because the only the reason I'm saying that is because if you're if you got to think about their. Like they're, they're over, expensive. someone with over hundred grand a year is not living at their parents' house. Like they're fucking, they're, Correct. They, have, they have a family probably. So the problem in this business with a lot of people starting with team members who are heavily commission-based, if not hundred percent commission-based is that, you know, there's a huge lag time from by the time they start working and then the time they start earning. And you need to, if you're going to hire a high performer, you have to be able to stomach that five six grand a month because you're gonna to have to know and have faith that in six months that whatever five times six is 30 grand you paid them is gonna be worth a lot more in what they're bringing in than what you paid right. out right Absolutely. so you're gonna to have to you know and another way you could do it I've, I've seen this before is like you give them 30 grand a year base and then you pay them eight points on the deal that could work but i think if you have a really good person who's the right fit they're really going to only want to get commission because they know that's where they make their money
1: i don't uh, know some guys some guys want some kind of uh security certainly if they have bills to pay like they might want a base you got to figure it out yeah everybody's I, it, different
0: yeah everyone's different but that's what i found at least with brett is once we got him run it once the thing that i realized with him is that once he saw the volume that we were doing compared to the other business he was like, I'm going all in here because he saw the leads coming in. He saw the spreads. We, were, I mean, the first deal he did, I think we made like 45 grand flipping the property. So, you know, he saw these numbers and he was like, holy shit. You know, I'm not saying I'm Jesus, but like, you know, there was, there was a. no. listen, if
1: you're, if you're where he was operating was a place that was not operating in New York, right? Isn't that California? Firm. He was in
0: like Florida doing it virtually. So, yeah, he, so the,
1: you know, those, that's, that's another place where people do, you know, 20,000, you know, $15,000 spreads yeah. and $20,000 spreads. And that's, the, that's what they're used to. And we know in New York that uh, assignment fees are significantly higher.
0: Oh, hundred percent, they're uh, way higher. And there's the thing too that that I've realized as well. And I'll tell you how I, we've transitioned Brett more into like this quasi partner role is. So he he was doing deals in New York with me before he moved to Delaware. This was only for a few months, and then he we went to dinner one night, and he's like, "Hey, I'm actually thinking about moving to Delaware," and I was like, "Oh, that's awesome!" Because he was buying over the phone, so I could care if he lived in Alaska. It didn't matter right. to me. Time zone would have sucked, but you know it was the same shit. And I'm like, that's awesome, man. So he moved to Delaware and I had no plans to buy houses in Delaware at all. And now we're doing half our business in Delaware, which is funny. And, you know, I was like, you know what, man, why don't we do some marketing in your backyard and see what we can do? You can go on appointments if it makes sense and yada, yada, yada. So we started marketing in Delaware and it's like any market in the beginning. It's brutal. You're like, "Ah, I'm spending all this money. I'm making money in this other area. Why am I getting distracted? And we ran into a flip. I actually bought it and I broke even on it, which was disappointing but i overpaid for it story. yeah i overpaid for it yeah whatever and i was kind of like oh man does this really make sense like we're spending this money like are we distracted literally a week later we hit a wholesale deal that was like 15 grand it closed in like a week and i was like holy shit and like, just the cash cycle was like crazy down there there's no attorneys really well there's attorneys but you, they don't like they don't interfere they're just like the title company
1: they're, so f- they're affiliated with the title company
0: it's basically a title company yeah so i'm like all right and then we hit uh, like a 35k rip and then we started just humming down there. And, you know, now he goes on appointments in Delaware and he, you know, knows that market super well. Does he go live yeah. in Delaware? He will go in Delaware if it warrants an appointment. Like we, Our standard pre- procedure is we buy it over the phone. And if it's local to Delaware and we think an appointment will add value, he will go on that appointment. I do the same thing in Reno because it's like, fuck it. I was at a house the other day because it's like, what's down? Everything in Reno is down the street. Everything in Delaware is kind of down the street, too. So you're not like in Delaware is
1: a very, very small state, and Reno is not such a big city.
0: Reno is a giant sort of McCarran loop. That's it. So, anyway, so we started doing that. That really helped us from a revenue standpoint. Another thing I will say, and then I'm sure you have some comments and whatnot, is the biggest thing that I realized with if you want to keep somebody, is number one, you always have to provide more of an opportunity for them to be more successful. So I, I plan to help Brett buy rental properties in Delaware. I plan to help him get wealthy. A lot of people, and I've seen this in masterminds a lot, is they, you know, you got to understand what somebody wants, right? You got to figure out with what does that acquisition manager want? What do they want their life to look like? What do they want their income to look like? Do they want to buy rentals? And you got to help them get there. You got to actually give a fuck about them because a lot of people. They think that an acquisitions manager wants X, and they really want Y, and then there's no communication, and then all of a sudden they quit, and then they got to go start all over again. So right. I tried my best, and I still do every freaking week. If you should do every
1: quarter, every quarter you should just have one-on-one meetings. Yeah. Like I, I, I do that with all, all my employees. Yeah. You know, How do you help them get want to where they
0: get to? What are your
1: goals? What do you want to accomplish? Yeah. How can I help you get there? That kind of thing. Yeah, and they then they
0: have... they see the work they do every day is helping them get to their goals. Like right now, Brett doesn't have to worry about money. He's got way more money in the bank than he needs. By a long shot, he basically has you know an equity situation on that mailing campaign. He you know can do whatever he wants with his time. He doesn't have a boss really, he's his own boss, basically. I mean, I don't treat him like he he knows what he's got to do. Like, I don't literally, I'm going to New York next week. And I told him, I'm like, dude, I'm not doing like I, if you need me, call me. But like, I don't have to God dumb. <laughs> yeah, I don't got He knows what to do. He he calls me at least once a week and he's like, I got a new deal for us. I didn't know what was fucking going on. I'm like, Oh, cool. Great. are the numbers? I got a text the other day. He's like we're buying a house in New Windsor for 95 grand. And I go, oh, that's nice. Let's talk about that's,
1: that morning. That sounds like a good price.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the, here's the, I want to talk about the benefit to when you can get somebody who's really good. They're going to bring you deals that you didn't even know anything about. Like they're, half of the properties, I have no friggin' clue what happened. I just know that we bought the house and I signed the contract. That's all I know. Or I have to get an attorney involved in New York. So you allow somebody who's a high performer to bring in revenue to your company. And then depending on where you're at in your business, you can, you know, I sit in the dispo seat, so I sell them or I deal with the private money to buy them, whatever. That's not that hard. I, I kind of like that better than buying houses because it's just easier for my communication. I don't have to be chained to my phone. So you, you get somebody who can bring a lot of revenue in and you create an environment for them where they feel like they're, you know, like an entrepreneur to an extent, like where like they own almost a piece of that business from a stand, like a work standpoint. And you get someone to stick around and they make a lot of money. And you can, you can all grow together. What you don't want to do is treat them like, you know, they, you know, you don't want to, tr- it's hard to explain it, but like you just want to make it to where when they're really good and they can get the results done and they're an accountable, like you don't need to, oh, Another here's another bullshit myth. I learned this from Tom Kroll. You don't need to hold people accountable. You just need to get accountable people. Like, Brett doesn't need me I don't need to be like hey did you make your calls today he just makes the calls I don't I've never said did you make these calls because he's always made them so you never need to like you don't want to be have oh I got to hold my team accountable no your team should be accountable and then they should let you know what's going on right that's when you know you have somebody good if you have to always check in like we had an employee we just decided to let go a couple weeks ago that was a dumpster fire I had to hold them accountable. Hey, did you call them? Hey, can you call them? Like, I- I'm doing their fucking job. And then th- that was a – we had to get exactly. rid of them. So you need to just hire accountable people who have very good character traits who are going to play the long game. Because if you have to constantly check in with people over things that they should have been doing, you don't have the right person on your team and you're just going to – hundred
1: percent. And it's hard to know that before you hire them, but you'll no, it's know impossible. it right after you hire them. That's you'll, know, you'll know the first fucking day. Exactly. So you, you need to – Everybody you hire, you need to tell them you're, I'm hiring. I'm trying you out for 30 days or 15 days, and then we'll see. And if they're, if the typical red flags show up, just get rid of them early.
0: I should have done that. I fired
1: somebody. I fired somebody on Friday. I'm hiring a replacement lead manager tomorrow.
0: Yeah. And, uh, that's a big deal. That's Not a big deal. So, so let me flip the script on you, Michael. You have the whole business automated, except for buying houses. I believe what is, what has been your experience with this position? Cause everything else, you have more employees than I do. Right. So like, you so, have-
1: no, I don't think, I don't know. I don't think so. Maybe one, two more, but like I, I'm still doing acquisitions, but I do have two guys that I trust who go on appointments for me when I'm so out you, of town. Cause I do, yeah, you kinda I have do travel a lot. He, one of them just locked up two deals. So that's good. It's, it's not easy, right? Because as you say, you should hire somebody who's been successful. You have to make sure they should be going on between eight to 12 appointments, whether it's phone or live a week. Oh, Minimum. You need to be able to provide at least eight to 12 appointments a week before you hire them. Minimum, minimum. And as you say, it's a, it's a situation where you, you, you need them to feel like they are like part of the business. It's very important.
0: You have to have that because especially in a scenario where they're only going to get paid on a deal because it's like it's uh, – there's a guy. I'm not going to mention his name for privacy purposes. His acquisitions manager made – I'll tell you after the call – made a million dollars net, net. Like Most business owners don't make that net. His right. acquisitions manager made a million dollars.
1: I hope I would pay my acquisitions manager a million dollars. That means I'm making a lot more than a million dollars. You make 10 million. <laughs> right. Like people complain, oh, I had such a big tax bill last year. Like, I hope I pay $5 million in taxes this year because that means I made a lot more than that. It's fine. So, yeah, you'll tell me off air. But I'm you interested. Got, you got in it. You got
0: one. it. Yeah, you have to have it. That's the biggest thing. that pe- Like if, if people like if a lot of people love the 80-20 rule, which myself included, 80-20 Get You got to hire someone, you, number one to 20, 10 and 10. Have a business that actually makes money or, originally or initially and hire someone who makes a lot of money. And then their standard right. will be at the same level that your hopefully revenue is. And then you can transition them easily. But if you have a business that makes peanuts and you try to hire somebody who makes peanuts, you're going to just get peanuts, right? You, you cannot expect somebody, especially if you don't have a good business already, to just jump in and save you. Like a lot of people think this is a big point. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised I didn't mention it already. A lot of people think that they're going to hire this acquisitions manager and they're just going to ride off into the sunset and they're going to have, oh my God, I never have to look at a lead again. I never have to worry <laughs> about it. No, I still am involved. I still help Brett all the time. Of
1: course. By the but the, there is, I don't think there is, you know, people dream of this situation where the business runs by itself. It, Every,
0: happen. it never happens like that.
1: The one of the greatest I'm going to say calls or webinars was when with Jason Lewis and Cody Hoffine, who both have massive businesses in, in Utah, in the same mean, they're, market. Both, they're both doing three, $4 million a year. And they both said that anytime we take our attention off of something, because we think it's working. Okay. And then we look at it a few months later, it's always fucked up. So that made me, I can't tell you how much joy I got from hearing that. Cause if those guys can still make that mistake and, then everybody can. So you have to be on top of things on some level. You just don't want to be doing the day-to-day activities. That's all.
0: That's the number one thing. I still cash out our company scorecard every night at 5 o'clock. Personally, I look at the – I go in every day. I never – Leads, offer.
1: appointments, contracts, closings. I look
0: at leads, offers, contracts, closings, revenue. Uh, we don't make revenue every day, obviously. But like right, I but... look at these numbers every day because it takes me two minutes. And I know in two
1: minutes, goes. you know exactly what's going on. Right. And, and if I it looked like shit, shit for a week, you would know, right. It wouldn't be like, you find it three months later in a week. You'd be like, something's not, I can see right there. away.
0: if We're cruising for a bruising or if we're going right. towards success. And that's the biggest thing people don't understand is like, if you can get your day to day, cause I look at any job that I hire for, like when I bring someone on. And like I said, I've had to learn this the hard way most of the time is there's a job role and under the job role, there's job activities. That's it. It's a role and it's activities. It's one lane. There's a role which is more broad, and there's activities that are that are tactical and controllable. And if you can remove yourself from the activities via the role, you can then obviously you still need to pay attention to it, but you don't have to be worrying about, hey, Sally, thanks for calling. You know, we buy houses. You don't have to do that because someone else is doing that. But right. a lot of people make a mistake when they hire. And this is just more hiring advice. They don't, they're not clear on the activities that the person needs to do on a daily basis to be successful. So we're hiring another lead manager right now. And the first fucking thing I told them on the short intro interview was, these are the activities. This is exactly what you're doing all day. This is it. This is why it's good. This is what sucks about it. This is the work. And people are not clear about that. They're like, oh, come work for a growing company. We're going to go to the stratosphere. Fuck you. No, you're not. Shut up. You got to tell these people the fucking activities because that's what they're going to do every day right? And, and and that's what I've learned The doing Absolutely. it the right way and the wrong way is just, it's the activities that are what people are going to do. And then when you have good, here's another thing too. I can talk about this for a while, as you can tell, when you have clear activities that will make somebody successful or not, you just need to look at those activities. That's all you need to do. Are they doing the activities? Like if it's a lead manager, are they answering the phones quickly? Are they following up with the leads every day? Are they organizing the CRM so there's no bullshit in there? Are their notes updated? Are they communicating the leads that are hot to the acquisitions manager to make sure that there's a next step set? If you can get those four or five things optimized, you're freaking good, right? Right. But people are way too broad and they give people... Another thing I see is owners, and I've made this mistake, they give too much, like too many things that are not in the same lane to one person because they think they're really good. So like if you have one person who's doing one role, they need to do one thing. You can't have like, we ran into a problem that we're fixing now is Brett was locking the deals up and then he was way too involved with the seller post-contract. And then he's communicating with me about like logistical stuff, which is preventing him from buying more houses. So now we're basically pulling him from that. He's buying houses. And my assistant is going to be dealing with the seller post-contract because it's so stupid to have him do that. Cause it doesn't correct the revenue already. Like the, the con the objective for an acquisitions manager is to get a contract. That's it. That's it. Once they have a contract, they got to go back out into the field and get another contract. You should not have your acquisitions manager speaking with the seller about closing logistics because you're, you're, you're right. in, they're also
1: 100%. 100%.
0: Yeah. So that's what I've found to be successful. Obviously, you know, this is just my opinion. So there might be some people who agree or disagree that I found this to work. I have the tax returns that Brett has to show for it. This is not theory. So if you want to just really get somebody to be a high performer, number one, you need to try to if you're gonna try to do this with someone who's already making money, you gotta make sure they're already earning a high income and you transition them from their job into your company and solving for pain points that they have that your company can relieve. If you're looking to hire someone ground up kind of like a Brett, you have to kind of unicorn hunt a little bit because that's not very common. But given his situation, it made sense. And uh, that's how we are able to to bring in a lot of business is by having not a ton of people on our team, but really good people on our team who understand what the roles and the activities are. And that's how we do, you know, the business we do.
1: Okay. Here I we think go. it's excellent stuff.
0: I, I hmm. should have charged $1,000 for this podcast because if that's someone great. booked a, a, a book a call with Greg consultation, I would have given him the same advice and they would have paid $1,000. Right. So everyone listening, you're very welcome for that.
1: That's right. All right. Good. All
0: right. Hope everyone got value. If you did, please. I mean, Jesus, if you didn't get value from this podcast, you should just stop buying houses because you're never going <laughs> to. So leave a review, share the show on social media, and uh, we will see everybody on the next episode. Take care, everyone.